Welcome to another, oh, I didn't say hello. Hello. I know, I was waiting for that. Hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of our Babs podcast, Bay Area Brats Struggling, where we talk about things that we're struggling with uh, to normalize it, even if it feels bratty. Um, all right. So our past, oh, I'm <laughs> all over the place. I'm Amanda. And I am Sam. Hello, all. Um, so our past couple episodes were a little more lighthearted, fun, talking about dating and what that's like in our late thirties, uh, post divorce and called off engagement. So this week we decided to come back to the topic of mental health in part because we've heard various news about people we know, or people we know tangentially, tangentially, or people we don't know at all, but where they were struggling with mental health. And there was a lot of like, you would look at this person and not even think they were struggling. Like they looked completely put together, really accomplished. They seemed happy. And then you find out later they, they were really suffering. So we thought we would talk about depression and what it has felt like and looked like for us and our experience with it. Yes, I agreed to this. <laughs> so also, I say it like that though, because I think we are in two different phases of our journey with depression. And I still am like, because it feels awkward to, to make the, to say like, I'm depressed. I always make a joke of it mm -hmm. in hopes that it doesn't make the other person feel bad or like pity me. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Cause I, if I am struggling, I don't know how to tell people I'm struggling. So then you say it and then you mask it with a smile. Yes. Giggling, like straight out, like, but I'm like, everyone is depressed. Yeah. I mean, well, and it is interesting because it is a lot harder to identify when you're in it and much less describe it. And so be where you're at today, <laughs> share as much or as little as you are able to. Um, and I, uh, so I'll, I'll go first. Um, I've had, I would say three major bouts of depression. I mean, and I probably have had a lot more, you know, little dips in and out, but I can identify three really big ones just because it felt, I felt so disconnected from the world. So the first one was in my last year of college and and the way I would describe that feeling, like I knew one of the, the the markers that really stands out to me is I remember we were all sitting around our college apartment and everyone was laughing and I laughed too, but my own laugh felt, sounded so unfamiliar to me. And when you all were laughing, I just remember thinking, I don't even, I don't feel this happiness. Like I, I just felt so disconnected from it. It was like, I don't remember what laughter is supposed to feel like. And, and so then as I was struggling with this for a few months, I just, I, I remember describing it as feeling like you are at the bottom of a well where it is completely dark all around you and you've been trying and trying to get out, but 
you, you can't and it's exhausting and you see light at the top I always think of that from the movie the ring that's where, what I was I was like oh that makes we're like the lid the lid is slowly closing and all you see is that little ring of light but that is what it felt like like I was at the bottom and the lid was slowly being closed and light was leaving and I could see it up there but I could not reach it what was interesting to me was I we all had I know I had this image of depression means you're crying all the time. You're sad. You have something to be sad about. But for me, it was more of an empty feeling. Like I just felt really disconnected. I felt hopeless. And yes, I was crying a lot, but it wasn't like I was crying because something was wrong. I think it was just more like realizing depression is this hopeless, exhausted feeling and not outwardly crying and being miserable can I can I as an outsider explain what I saw yeah well that was gonna be one of my questions like as a friend on the outside what's it like seeing your friend so remember we were 20 21 selfish I can distinctly remember seeing you really not engaged with your best friends everyone in our apartment and I remember that's when you started dating your ex and like it was our senior year and like the world is uh, like we're unstoppable we we have our whole lives ahead of us we're graduating from one of the top universities and you know we're doing big things like you're going into marketing I'm going into gonna work for the DOJ and it I remember just thinking like Amanda is being such a little bratty <laughs> girlfriend. Like, I can't believe all she wants to do is spend time with her boyfriend, knowing this is our last year together. And we used to, you know, we have parties every weekend and not, not no, cool parties. Like, no, it was <laughs> like, we made each other brunch and it was like, we are a loser for, no, no. I, I, I was only thinking about one person in particular and our flatmates know who this particularly tall person is like we thought that was so cool to have brunch with him every Sunday but that's not the point like I just remember thinking we're all having the time of our lives we're we're just watching movies together and just having fun and Amanda doesn't want to be a part of it like why yeah. does she have to be such a girly girl and like yeah clingy love? girlfriend yeah and I even then I'm thinking about conversations I had where we're just like Amanda, I, who knew Amanda was going to be that type of girlfriend? But you were not, now that I have talked to you about this, like you were in your room trying to just slow down your mind. And I don't, like none of us appreciated that. Yeah. And you were wearing pink. Like I could just see it in my head. You were smiling and you had your pink backpack, light pink backpack, by the way, not even like a vibrant color. So you were so like, Ever, like senior year of college and I have a boyfriend and I just remember thinking like why is she pulling away from her friends but that was not at all what you were doing yeah and 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 part of the reason I I don't even know that I knew how bad the depression was in the moment but it felt like I couldn't say that because it felt like I was using it as an excuse for why I was spending all my time with my boyfriend and and it what's interesting is I do think there was an incident with my boyfriend that triggered my anxiety. And 
and depression, which are actually two separate things. And we can maybe talk about that later. But so he became the source of, of the things I was worried about most, but he was also the only one I could find comfort in. And so it became this vicious cycle of like, I need to be near him because he is the only one who makes me feel safe and comforted, even though he was the main one making me feel unsafe and questioning my own thoughts and feelings. And so like, I, I didn't, I just didn't know what to, I was just trying to survive. And in that moment, it felt like I need him in order to survive. But I do remember like all of you at one point came up to me and was like, Amanda, it's our senior year. If you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person, don't you want to spend this last year with us? And I'm just like, I, I don't like I do, but I can't. And there was one day where I was walking home from class and I started to have a panic attack. And then I thought about how I was going to walk into the house and be okay. And it only made my panic attack worse. And then I came in and I'm like hyperventilating. I'm crying on the floor in the front of the bathroom. And that's when all of you were gathered around me. It just was like a lot of like, what's happening? And in my head, I was like, stop crying. You don't even know what you're crying about. But also maybe now they see that this isn't a real no. thing. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to say like, again, very young, very like, I just had a very different mindset. I couldn't fathom mental health. I couldn't fathom sadness. And I had some sad things happen during college, but I was just like, no, like people don't, I, I, I didn't, I had no comprehension of being sad or depressed or anxious. Well, and I mean, I think, I think not a lot of us didn't, even if we did, we didn't know what it was or what to do with it. And so then it became also hard to tell people. And so I will share what got me out of it that first time. <laughs> because I've learned since then, you can come out of the well, you might fall back in. <laughs> or my other analogy is it feels like a fog that rolls in and out. Um, but I'll talk about that in a bit. But what got me out of this first bout was, I mean, I did start to go to therapy, but she was not very sympathetic. So, but I mean, I think in being more honest with my boyfriend and saying like, I'm really not okay. And so going to therapy, but the thing that really helped me was I called my older sister crying one day and she was the only one I'd really talked to about it. Cause she went, she had dealt with it herself. And she was the one who actually pointed out to me, I, I see it in you and I think you are depressed. And so I was like, oh, is that what it is? I'm not just an overly sensitive person who cries all the time. And so she pointed it out to me just how disconnected I seemed and how quiet and unlike myself I was. So I had called her crying, but because she had happened to be with my parents at the time. And so then they heard her say, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she was like, I'm sorry, I had to tell them what's going on with you. And because Ooh, getting goosebumps talking about this because then my parents knew and then they came to talk to me and you know it was like you you don't have to keep this in we want you to feel like you can come talk to us and I just remember there was one day where there was something wrong with my tire and so my dad decided to come out after work after working a full-time job he came all the way out to Berkeley and picked me up so he well and then he helped me with my car and then I was like okay thank you and he was like I'll drive you home 
mind you, my car was literally across the street. So I was like, you don't need to drive me home. I could just walk across the street, like not even a minute. And he's like, no, 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 I'll drive you. And so he drives me out of that small garage across the street. And the whole time he's just clearing his throat and I can tell he's gearing up to say something. And he was, and he finally was like, I, we just, we want you to know that we love you and we don't want you to feel like you have to keep it in. Like, please come tell us if you weren't struggling because we, we want to know. And it took so much for my dad to be able to say that, that I instantly was like, I don't want to worry them. And so for them, I'm going to try to get better. And then there was not really any hiding it because they were then clocking my mood all the time. And not that it put pressure on me to fix it, but it just was like, I had more motivation to try to get to the root of it and get out of this depression. Yeah. Just thinking about your dad. I know. What, and I, I think I brought this up last night when I sent you a video of this young, younger girl who's 30 and she's like, oh, I was just laid off. And I kind of like, look at this 30 year old thinking this is the worst thing that could happen to her. She's, she's going to be fine, but also like meet people where they are. But at the time and still today, I could still think about it. I'm like looking from the outside. Like it just didn't like, I couldn't comprehend that why anyone would be sad when they have so much and like, like you're so smart, you have a, what we thought was a handsome, smart boyfriend. And I, that's mean, Sam. <laughs> and you had so many friends, like it was so hard to fathom. And like, again, if it was anyone else, I'd still be like, I wonder what is causing that. And you want to think about it, but guess what? There, you don't have to explain it to anyone. And there doesn't even have to be a reason that people get this way. It can yeah. sometimes just happen. Yeah. Well, that was when my sister like sent me that letter saying, like, I think you're depressed. I looked up the symptoms and what struck me was two of the symptoms were, you know, one of them was like your body aches for no reason and you're just tired all the time. And I was like, oh, I just thought I was a sleepy girl. Like I didn't realize that there are physical manifestations of this, but my body was really aching. And then the other one was guilt, like immense guilt, because there is nothing that is actually wrong. Or maybe like you, there's, you have so much going for you that you feel guilty. You feel this way. And I mean, this is honestly the, the whole basis for Babs, because we have realized that we constantly try to diminish our feelings or push them aside because it's like, we're so lucky. Like, what do we have to be struggling about? What do we have to feel depressed about? And, and then tying it all back of like why it was so powerful that my parents found out and then came and talked to me is, and what I realized is depression, what feeds depression is silence. And it wasn't like one thing that made me get better. It wasn't therapy as some magical thing. It was just the act of talking about it, telling my parents, telling my boyfriend, telling my friends, like telling people, this is what I'm going through. And it just it exits your body a little bit more. And, and it was through that process. But I think what makes it really hard is when you tell people and they don't believe you. And so I would like, if there is one thing that we want people to get out of today's episode, 
it is that when someone comes and tells you how they feel, believe them. Even if you don't understand it, even if you want to come back with, but here are all the reasons you should feel grateful. Like look on the bright side. I get it. We, we don't want to get stuck in like a negative cycle of thinking, but when someone is coming to you, telling you what they're feeling, believe them and just hold space for that. So on the flip side of that, what is interesting is because when I tell people I'm struggling, I'm like, I'm struggling. And then I start crying. You, it's almost like you say it and then you try to like discredit yourself. Like you say, I'm sad, I'm depressed. And then you laugh about it and you're like, but you know what, who isn't? Because there's the guilt of like, there could be harder things. And the not understanding why I'm feeling this way. So I'm like, is it real? I mean, I have this, and it was, maybe I'm taking it out of context, but one of my former people always said, don't trust your feelings. It's not reality. Mm -hmm. And I continuously go like, am I sad? Am I making up the mind sad? Is it a superficial sad? Or... But then I think it came to head because there were just like real strong characteristics that I couldn't avoid. Like I was sleeping all the time. Like I was, there was no reason for me to get, I can't constantly canceling on friends and it wasn't, no one did anything, but I do know this fog you're talking about where it just slowly creeps in. And then you're looking around and you can't see anything. Yes. Yes. And so, I mean, I need, like, this is how I knew that it wasn't just you, like, kind of struggling with family stuff or, you know, your breakup. You came to me and you said, I, I feel really empty. Like, I, you were like, I'm not necessarily sad. I just feel empty. And, like, there's not really a lot of hope there. And I was like, that is the epitome of depression that that I've experienced and that was when I was like you I think this is more serious and so okay let's go back to this because we talked about how don't trust your feelings which I feel like that's kind of how we've grown up being taught like don't be so sensitive and just let it roll off your back and again there is something to be to resilience but from what have I from what I've experienced every time I've tried to deny what I've been feeling it has manifested later down the road as depression or anxiety. So I am very much in the camp of trust your feelings. So, and that, in, in, there are other things that how it manifests besides like tiredness and sleepiness. Like, I mean, as we know, I've always yo-yo with my weight, like always. But this is the first time it's just been so uncontrollable now it's like dangerous in terms of like am I going to become a diabetic because I've put on 70 pounds and it's that self-soothing I didn't even realize like, because everyone's like I'm a foodie we're all foodies and I'm like yeah we're all foodies but I'm actually not a foodie like I hate most delicious things I love you plain, plain <laughs> barely put salt on it 
You, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't like sauces. I don't, you know, I don't like a lot of things, but I sought comfort in eating things that I didn't even want to eat. Yeah. And I mean, yes, this could be a whole other thing of like, do I have an eating disorder? And like, I've definitely talked about this with multiple doctors and a therapist and a psychiatrist, but it was a way to like, it was, it was part of the sadness, depression yeah. and sadness. Yeah. Well, this like I knew what to do. You and I have also, I mean, again, I think this could be a whole other episode because we haven't even touched on, this is one of the major things we struggle on, even though we have different body types, we both struggle with not liking our body image, like growing up, hating it, always being like, I wish I could lose X amount of pounds. If I just look like this, I'd be okay. And we really struggle with our relationship with food. And so we are huge comfort eaters. And when we feel sad or empty, we are physically stuffing ourselves to try to 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 get to fill that void. And I one of my therapists was talking, I mean, and this is very serious, but she she said, you know, what you're doing is a form of self-harm. Like you know when you reach for that bag of chips, you that's not what you want to be doing, but you are just trying not to feel what you're feeling or whether it's that empty, emptiness and you are physically creating pain so that way that you that's what you focus on and we have done that so much where it's like like last night you were like I feel like I'm going to explode and I was like I am so full I cannot move and it's just this feeling of being overstuffed that you and I struggle with and I think it's a one of our coping mechanisms a hundred percent I want to say though I was stuffed because I ate two bunches of kale. Well, that's your other problem. You're not good with moderation. <laughs> I ate like a million grapes. And even as I warned you that that was going to result in some issues with your bowel, <laughs> you were like, I don't have that problem. Girl, last night was bad. I, <laughs> Y'all don't eat two bundles of kale and like four cups of spinach. Because that's what I did. It tasted delicious. It just, I <laughs> was yeah. also very sick. Okay. You know what? We're going to park this because again, that that's a whole other topic, but <laughs> I do, cause I do want to come back to like, I, I am a believer of like everything you're feeling is valid and it deserves to be recognized so that you can release it. Like, even if you are feeling like the grumpiest person on the sunshiniest day and everything's going your way. If you're feeling grumpy, there's a reason for it and it deserves to be recognized. I have learned though, and this is a key difference, is that your thoughts are not reality. Because so many times I would think something like really mean about someone. And then in, and then I'd be like, God, if I thought it, then that must mean it's my true feeling and I'm a horrible person. And for the longest time, Like I didn't even allow myself to ever think that my parents are wrong. Cause I was like, well, that's being a bad daughter. And (laughs) this was just a couple years ago where my little sister had said something of, you know, well, I was upset at first. And then I realized they were just being crazy. And I was like, you're not allowed to think that they're crazy. Like you can't say that about them. And she was like, what? (laughs) And I was like, I never let myself think anything bad about my parents, because you're not allowed to. And then she looked at me like I was crazy. 
And I was like, wait, we're allowed to think things and it doesn't mean it's the truth. And so it's a, it's a fine distinction between your feelings and your thoughts and trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And this is part of the internal war we constantly have. Yeah. There is a war. Like, I don't know. I don't. Yeah. The self-hate, the self-doubt, and then everyone else speaking to you in terms of how you respond to something. Like, if you only drank more water, you'd probably be fine. <laughs> I mean, we could all do with drinking more water. <laughs> but yeah. But it's not going to resolve the internal struggles that could be caused by something very obvious, like, I don't want to give examples because that's too painful, but also you might not know where this is all coming from. And sometimes the answer is you'll never know what it's coming from, but you just still have to ride the wave. Yeah. Do you think other people have this mental merry-go-round like we do? Or are they just like, they think a thing and then they are like, eh, whatever. I immediately thought of our two great friends, that <laughs> tall person and that other tall person. Former friend, uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they're, like you said, they, I mean, I've never had a conversation about this with either of them, but they just seem so much simpler. <laughs> so are we making it complicated? Yeah. Like they, like people could be happy with just like a, like a good, simple life. Like you have a family, you have a job, you have a home, like they're good. They don't need passion or deeper meaning. And, and so it's like, I wish we didn't care so much. Yes. Yes. I do wish I didn't care as much, but I also think there's a lot of things that we have to hold and hold it silently and like without a rhyme or reason. I think societally, you know, there are a lot of things that happen to women, Asian, you know, I'm just speaking for myself that I struggle to say is right or wrong, what is just and unjust, you know, being in the legal field. I'm like, how could anyone do certain things or how can I be treated like this in my place how could I be treated by this like this by people who love me like there's a lot of like it doesn't make sense the mm -hmm. world actually doesn't make sense because the one example of like the person who loves you the most can hurt you the most like everyone's very familiar with that but it's so counterintuitive but I feel like that's how all of the things I'm holding feel like like all of it feels counterintuitive yeah well and what took me a long time to learn is that like all these things that I was beating myself up for being like I'm broken because I'm so freaking emotional because I care I make everything such a big deal like if I could just you know be simpler <laughs> that sounds so mean but if I if if I like all those things I thought were were my weaknesses it makes me who I am Yes, it makes, I'm torturing myself with my own thoughts, but it's also what makes me incredibly empathetic. And I, and so coming back all the way around to going through depression and how it's shaped me, like it gave me such incredible empathy for other people because you just never know what they're going through and they can be going through something even if nothing happened. 
Yes, but also one thing that we didn't talk about, you said three occasions where you've had depression and like even just painful experiences that turn out fine can lead to depression. And I'm thinking about the twins right now where everyone was telling you they're healthy now. Like what's wrong with you? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it can manifest it uh, uh, on a delay. Like two years later, you're like, wait, nothing happened, but something did happen. I think you have to describe that. Oh, the twin. Uh, we only have, we're, we have the 10 minute warning. So I, know, I feel like that's a whole other minutes. No, well, I just want them to hear like, the reason I'm saying this is because we've both said like, it can come out of nowhere, but it there are also a lot of people dealing with painful things and just because the world, there might be something big happening doesn't, should not diminish your pain and sadness as well. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, quickly, but we'll save this for another one because I do want to talk about pregnancy, infertility and all that. So yeah. I, it took me a long time to get pregnant. I had to get fertility help. So when I got pregnant, it was like, oh my gosh, this is such a blessing but then very quickly, it, it, my pregnancy became complicated because I had twins. So at every appointment, it became like a problem to be on the lookout for. And I could never feel happy. And, but then I was constantly battling that. And it was interesting because my ex at the time, or my husband at the time, we would go into the same appointment and we would walk out hearing different things. He would hear, oh, there's hope. And I would hear, oh my gosh, here are all the reasons that this could go horribly wrong. And at the time I was like, oh good, this is a good balance. But then as things got worse, I started to feel like I was holding on to the negative and everyone's like, look on the bright side. So long story short, they were born eight weeks early and you know they were very small and they were in the NICU. And, and I think the question that was always on my mind I didn't want to ask was, are they going to survive? Are they going to be okay? And no one wanted to say it because it was so scary to see them so small. And it was just, we were taking it day by day. And, you know, a year later, they, they, you know, their one year birthday, they're healthy babies. Um, this is making me want to cry. Um, you know, they, it's just like all these moments that everyone thinks is like, this is so happy. Like you got the day you got to come home from the NICU. All I remember is the fear, the fear of like, is, are they, are they still going to survive? Should, are we being let home too soon? And so everyone's just like, look how happy and healthy they are. This isn't a joyous, this is a joyous moment. And I, for the first couple birthdays every day or every year, I would be sobbing. And it just, and now in, in hindsight, it was the physical trauma anniversary that my body knew before my brain could process. But by then they were two or three and everyone's like, what are you upset about? Like, but look at it, they're healthy. And I'm just like, I know, but I, because I was so shocked during the whole process, I couldn't talk about my feelings. I didn't even know what I was feeling besides just fear. And it was locked up inside of me. And it wasn't until like two, three years later that it started to come out. But by then everyone had moved on and I hadn't. And that was a big part of what significantly changed me and probably led to breaking in our marriage. 
Um, but now, yeah. So, you know, people might be like, why are you bringing this up? Or like, but they're fine now. And it's whenever it happened, whenever it comes out is valid. Yeah. And even just hearing you describe it is not even the tip of the iceberg of how stressful that must have been. I, cause I wasn't there, but now that I have so many friends who are going through it, like each, I mean, I froze my eggs. This is very, very different, but even the process of having to deal with that, which seemed extraordinary or out of the ordinary, it stressed me out. And now I'm recalling like, that was you every time you had an appointment. And then you had someone who was like, but it's going to be fine. And like, I pray that it'll always be fine. But in the moment, you don't know if it's going to be fine. And sometimes someone just diminishing your feelings yeah. can cause way more trauma. Yeah. I So one thing, like, and I want to talk about like what people can say to someone who is struggling, there is a difference between, you know, someone being like, she'll be fine. Like, you know, everything will be okay. And then you want to scream, like, you don't know that. But the difference is when you came to me and you said, we are praying for her. Like, we will pray for her every night. And that like meant so much to me because it was acknowledging that there is something scary, but it was still giving hope. And, and it's a subtle thing and it might be different for every person, but like that was a difference in, in me getting upset over someone's attempt to comfort me and someone actually being able to comfort me. Yeah. I mean, no one teaches you how to comfort, although you have very much tra trained our friends to how to do that, which I think is important. I will share one of my tips is when someone shares something, whether it's happy news or sad, what you think to be sad news, like our friend just shared, she got a job she's been, you know, dream, like really working towards. And your immediate response is like, yay, congratulations. I love to ask first, how do you feel about it? Because you don't know. And I want to know how you feel about it first before I project my own emotions onto you because she has anxiety over it, it, it rightfully so even if it's your dream job letting go of an old job and stepping into the unknown and putting yourself in that position where you're not an expert anymore you're a new person that is very scary and it's so so uh, so a phrase that you could always use when talking to someone is just asking how do you feel about it oops no <laughs> <laughs> I say that because I responded very differently. I did not respond with empathy. I was like, what the, what's the fucking problem? Like what? And this is knowing, knowing I've literally been in therapy for years. I've literally been told this is how you should talk to people. And I'm still doing the same shit, Amanda, where I'm like, what is the problem? Like, this seems like a win all around. Yeah. I, I mean, some of it just, so much of it comes from me just thinking about what, how people have responded to my stuff in the past and what made me feel better, what made me feel worse and just trying to learn from that. So I think as you're going through this and people are responding in different ways, you will, you will adjust your responses as well. Also, 
I know I said I had three major bouts of depression. When dealing with the twins' pregnancy and their birth was not one of the three I was thinking about. What? Yeah. Girl, no, no. There were two other ones that really stood out to me, but we only have a minute and a half, so I can't. You guys gotta stay tuned. I'm staying tuned. I don't even know what's going on. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I will share. Again, so you would think depression comes from the most traumatic things. And it's certainly, yeah, but also sometimes it comes from not the most traumatic things. And so oh, we'll share more in the future. Well, can we just stay on? You tell me. Um, yeah, or we could record again. I don't know. Okay, we have to hang up. Cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when shows do this. I know, but um, you know, that's how you. What's you going can... on with Monarch right now? Are they coming back? I thought there was this, there was going to be another episode. There were strikes. Maybe they haven't filmed yet. We really got to go. Okay. Cliffhanger. Thanks. Bye. (laughs)